the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Hello, everyone. This is Al Fadi, and I want to thank you, of course, for joining us uh, today, yet in another uh, episode of this uh, series. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, you can see that the main theme so far is that we're putting the spotlight on the history of Islam, early history of Islam, standard Islamic narrative, its sources, its dating, and the list can go on and on and on. What are we trying to prove? We're trying to show that everything we know about Islam, if we were to rely on these sources, comes at a later time. There is a big gap between the life of the man, Muhammad, and the history of Islam and everything that has to do with his own sayings, his revelations, and so on and so forth. This is why it is extremely important for those of you, especially our Muslim friends, to please don't attack us. Just go and investigate the data that we are pre presenting to you. Ask yourself this question. Would you, would you, hypothetically speaking, follow our religion? Let's say you're not a Muslim today. Follow our religion that you discover that everything that is known about it is actually put together and packaged together at least between 100 to 200 years after its alleged origin. And ask yourself this question, would you feel comfortable following something like that? Do you feel that you have a solid foundation to stand on? And are you able also to share the same dating problem and sources problem with others whom you are trying to invite to follow the same faith that you have fallen in love with, even though it has a lot of problems when it comes to its standard narrative? Where today, uh, we are going to continue with this discussion, technically speaking, but we called this episode the, uh, the absence of evidence for a reason. And uh, with me here to unpack that is our dear brother, Dr. Jay Smith. Dr. Jay, welcome back. Uh, you know, we specifically chose this title for a purpose, the absence of evidence. If you want to elaborate a little bit more on that. Now, this came from a debate I had back in 1995 at Cambridge University, Trinity College with Dr. Jamal Badawi. I had been down at Speaker's Corner earlier in uh, 19, um, 1993, 1994, introducing what Gerald Hotting was teaching us in his class. I talked about Dr. Gerald Hotting at School of Oriental and African Studies and all of the Muslims that left the class within two weeks. Uh, I, I was excited by this fact because it showed me that this was a real problem for the Muslim students. These were Muslim students. These were academic students. These were quite intelligent, quite intellectual, and they were all slamming the door as they left because they, didn't, they were having a crisis of faith. Every one of them was going through a crisis of faith, looking at these really simple references such as the fact that there was no Qibla that was facing Mecca as early uh, until around, uh, in this case, we now know 727. There's and Muhammad died in 632. The Qiblas don't begin to face Mecca for over uh, almost 100 years at, uh, later. And all the Qiblas 
And I didn't even know this in 1995 because we didn't know this. That Gibson hadn't done his research yet. Or he hadn't published his research yet. Uh, we were going what Dr. Patricia Corona had found. And she noticed that they were all pointing further north. But she didn't know where. Most scholars in 1995, when I was taking this course, believed it was Jerusalem at that time. Huge, huge problem. If all the kibbles are facing Jerusalem, we now know it was Petra, more like it was Petra because of Gibson's research, which is just about 100 miles away. So roughly in the same area, but that's 600 miles further north. If all the kibbles for all the mosques up until 706, every one of them are uniquely facing this position over 106 or 600 miles further north, that is a huge problem. And I remember uh, bringing this up into this debate and Jamal Badawi turned to me and says, Mr. Smith, the absence of evidence doesn't prove the evidence of absence. And I was kind of caught flat-footed at that time. That's true. I, 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 I just did have, I said, it's screaming for evidence, though. The fact that there's absence there, there's screaming for evidence because this is only 1,400 years ago. We're not talking about 2,000 or 3,400 years with Moses. We're not talking about thousands of years ago. We're just talking about 1,400 years ago. That's not very long. That is very recent. And we're talking about Kiblas. We're talking about place names. We're talking about people. We're talking about events which should have been written down. At that time, we even introduced Mecca because we said, what about the city Mecca? Patricia Crone had found, and by that time, she had already, she did her book in, in 1987, Meccan Trade and the Rise of Islam. She had written it and she had gotten death threats for, because of writing that book. And all she did was ask this very simple question. There's an absence of any trade route going through a place called Mecca. That was hugely significant. Which is a logical question to ask. It's a logical question to ask. And so I was saying, okay, so I don't have the evidence, neither do you. You don't have the evidence either. So in that time, that's all I could throw back at him because I didn't have any evidence at that period. Well, today, now, we do have evidence. We're going to go through that and we're going to unpack what the evidence we do have. No longer is there an absence of evidence. There's all kinds of evidence. But it's not the evidence the Muslims are looking for. It's not the evidence the Muslims want to hear. And that's why it's so important that we have this whole series so we can unpack that evidence. Now, here's the question I want to ask you. Should this be a concern for every historian, not just Muslims, but also Western historians? This whole problem that there's an absence of evidence? It should. And I'll tell you why, from, from my perspective, if you are just, let's say, a Western historian, uh, maybe in the field of academia, how can you substantiate anything about Islam if you don't have evidence, solid evidence to back up these datings, for instance? How can you discuss something about the life of Muhammad, for instance, or talk about the history of this religion called Islam or even Mecca without backing it up with something tangible? Okay, I'll, I'll, be, I'll, I'll take, play the devil's advocate. I'm going to be a Muslim right now. My name is Abdul, and I come to you, yeah. uh, Al-Fadi, and I say, well, listen, we've got... We've got Ibn Hisham, he talks about the history of Muhammad, gives his life. We have Al-Buhari, gives us his direct sayings. There it is. I've given you the evidence now. Ibn Hisham, Al-Buhari. Well, that's interesting because I just stated to you that there is a big gap between Ibn Hisham and the life of Muhammad, the physical life of Muhammad, Bukhari and the physical life of Muhammad, uh, Tabari and the physical life of Muhammad. So how can you now fill that gap for me with tangible evidence? Very simple. We know that everything that Buhari said or wrote down, everything that Ibn Hishab wrote down, all the others, Al-Tabari and the others, they wrote it down because they got the mutton that they wrote down, they got from Isnat, from very well-sourced individuals who got it from so-and-so, who got it from so-and-so. And remember, remember, Al-Fadi, this is a whole science that you have never studied. This is an entire science that shows who are the authoritative 
people from which this has been received. Therefore, since you haven't studied this, you have no right to therefore question it. Well, I mean, let's pretend I don't know what I'm talking about. Then why does Bukhari have variations of certain sayings? Why do we have different readings of the Quran if everything is really solid when it comes to this Isnad? Look, forget about the Quran right now. I'm talking about the biography and, yeah. the, and the sayings of Muhammad. That's pretty simple because you have different eyewitnesses. You have different witnesses who saw Muhammad do one thing in one day, another thing in another day, and that's just different. So you have the same thing with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You've got the same thing. Now, your Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, were not written by eyewitnesses either. They were all re- put together in the 4th century. Therefore, you are dependent also on the same idea of Isnad. It's just you don't admit it. We actually that's, admit it. We're transparent on this. That's not true. Because proof to me that everything we know about the New Testament is based on later dating, 400 years later. We know that this was all put together by Constantine. Remember at the Council of Nicaea? Right. They, we have they had that table, they put this. all these books on it, and they shook the table, and absolutely. what was left is the yeah, New yeah, Testament. I, I know that, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But we have evidence from historians who are not even Christians that prove certain events, certain dates, and we even have manuscripts to support what they're saying. We have archaeological discoveries. None of those manuscripts are original. None of them come from the first century, as you claim. None of them come from the, the first full manuscript does not come to the fourth century, known as the Sinaiticus and, and the Vaticanus. That is fourth century. That's 300 years later. You've got a problem. We don't have the problem that Islam has because oh. we have other evidence. And we're going to get into this. We're going to get into this. We have the original text of Uthman. We have the Topkapi, the Samarkand. When was the it Ma'il. Are you going to interrupt me? Are you always going to interrupt me? Yeah, but yeah. This when, is, when was it going to, when was it well, We're not going to talk about that right now. That's later on. But can you see? But let's get back to this Isnad. The fact that we, that these people in this time period, they knew exactly what they were saying. You could trust them because they weren't lying. This is a whole uh, history of Islam, a whole genre of Islam that you don't know what you're talking about. And that's why we can trust it. I can trust it. Why can't so, you trust it? I tell you why uh, I won't trust it. Because if you study uh, the Ilm al-Rijal or the science of men, those, uh, the chain of narration, you discover that sometimes they are isolated, single uh, out as liars, for instance. Or others says that I do not trust this guy in a chain of narration because he had this history of doing this or fabricating things or and so so now we have a problem. And and here's yeah, the we call that Taif and we throw that to a side. We we don't call Buhari or Sahih Muslim Taif, they are Sahih. Therefore we trust them. Therefore I would tell you to go to Buhari and Sahih. And why would Buhari collect six hundred and sixty thousand hadith, throw most of them out, settle with seven thousand that has replication in there or doing the pudding he threw out that which yeah. was taif that how which did he was know? Un- how did he know because yeah. he knew exactly who the other who is this not where so but, that, but, but, but you can see this can continue on back and forth but let me just but i tell you why though i'm asking these questions that's the point i want to bring you are relying on mere men and claiming that they're inspired to i'm relying on oral tradition which is inspiration right no obviously right. these are not inspired yeah. and this is a huge point in what yeah. you're bringing up you've just hammered me and I can see I cannot yeah. you can see anybody watching this knows who's winning this debate you're winning this debate hands down because every every of every not just uh, Islam we demand this of every religion or any historical reference point anybody that makes a historical claim I don't care if they're religious or not or political or anything else. If they make a historical claim, we would want to know what the references or who wrote it down and when was it written down by that person. And we would demand that there be eyewitness accounts. We do not trust oral tradition for one very good reason. You've been into these birthday parties uh, where you tell a child this thing, they tell to the next child, next child, next child. By the time it's 15 child, children later, what the 15th child said and the first child said are two different things. That's right. We call it Chinese whispers or telephone, whatever one you want to use it. And if that can happen in a period of 15 minutes, how it changes – 
Can you imagine what happens over two to 300 years? Absolutely. Two to 300 years of oral tradition based on somebody that you highly respect and want somebody you want to give authority to. I do not trust that type of oral tradition. And that's why we're asking this question. Now, I would speak to Muslims now, and I want to talk to you Muslims. Wouldn't you Muslims want to know what exactly happened in the 7th century? Wouldn't you really want to go back to the time Muhammad lived, to the place Muhammad lived? Wouldn't you really want a guy to go back there? Because we're going to show you in the next episode where these people who you trust as the authority for everything you know Muhammad did and said, we're going to show you where they lived. We're going to show you exactly who they were, who Buhari was, where he lived, where Al-Tabari lived, where Ibn Hisham lived. You need to know this because you haven't been told this. And you're going to see this is going to be highly disturbing. With that in mind... And thank you, of course, for this uh, mock debate that we uh, did. And it's necessary, really, for people to hear no, I got uh, hammered both on sides this one, of the arguments. Uh, speaking of the chain of narration, what is the next episode that ties to this? We're going to actually ask and see who, where these people lived. We want to find out this authority. All these authorities that Muslims have blindly given their allegiance to, Right. Should they be giving their allegiance to these people if they didn't even live in the same place Muhammad lived? Which I did for most of my life. I gave allegiance to uh, them and even credence to these sources. Hopefully everyone uh, who's watching this is enjoying uh, this series. Hopefully it's been beneficial to you. But come back again because next time we'll even continue to unpack this about these sources. Until then, have a blessed day. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this message. You're listening to Let Us Reason with Al Fadi. We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for CIRA International. That's C-I-R-A International. You can also donate through PayPal. Go to CIRAInternational.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Now, back to Let Us Reason. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Al Fadi, and I hope that you are just enjoying uh, watching these episodes of this fascinating series about the uh, historical criticism of the origin of Islam, early Islam. And of course, I mean, we haven't even scratched the surface uh, in the last few episodes. We're just talking about important things related to the sources of Islam, the problem of the sources, and also the alleged witnesses uh, uh, which we have today, like, uh, for instance, the Hadith or or the Sira, or even the Tafsir, and the Tariq, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, this is important, of course, for us to highlight and put the spotlight on because of the time gap. When we put all of these dates, the sources, the birth of Muhammad, or the rise of Islam, or the death of Muhammad, or any other things, uh, in terms of these important events in the life of Islam or the standard Islamic narrative, there is a huge time gap, and that's what we are trying to focus on. With me here to unpack all of this, as always, Dr. Jay Smith. Dr. Jay, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So what about the um, geographical location of these witnesses? Yeah, and this is hugely important, because if you're going to have, if you're going to be, if they're going to be trustworthy, and Muslims are always asking us, that uh, to trust their worthiness, and they trust them all the time, automatically they have to, they really don't have a choice. You would hope that these eyewitnesses or these witnesses would actually be in the same location where Muhammad lived, would be there where Muhammad uh, grew up and also where he was saying the things he was saying. Mm -hmm. So let's go to, to the screen and let's bring up the difficulty with this uh, the standard Islamic narrative. Now, what the standard Islamic narrative says is that 
everything about early Islam took place where you see these two green circles, Mecca and Medina. Mecca at the bottom, Medina above it. They're in what we know is really the western part of the Hijaz, central part of Arabia. So west central part of Arabia. This is where you grew up. That's right. I mean, I grew up uh, very close to Mecca, and also Medina wasn't that far. You grew up right on the Red Sea, so you're right next to, what, about 30 miles, 40 miles away? I mean, I would say it's about 45 minutes drive, so I I would say about, yes, uh, 50 miles, give or take, you know. Okay, so very close. Mecca is inland. Medina is, what, about a day's drive? No, I mean, it's two hours drive, really. Oh, it's a two-hour drive. Okay, see. We're talking 200 miles. It's good to have you here. Yeah. Because now you have modern highways and zip right up. Yeah. Back in the day, that back in the days, they would probably take a week to get up there by camels. But certainly, that's where everything takes place. Right there, where those two green circles are. Now, we're all told that that the writers of the tradition did all their writing in Baghdad. That's the red circle there. So Baghdad is twelve hundred miles away. That's rather curious. Uh, if all of these people were living at the time of Muhammad, they should have been writing in Medina. Am I correct? That's right. But they're writing in Baghdad. Yeah. Why mean, are they writing in Baghdad again, and not Medina? We're looking at north now versus the south. But why are they writing in Baghdad and not Medina? That's a good question. Uh, you wonder why. Obviously, uh, we talked about the Abbasides, and that's uh, a, a huge, huge center for them. This was their capital. That's right. They're writing in Baghdad because that's where the Abbasides were, were headquartered. They were all headquartered in Baghdad. So they do all their writing in Baghdad. But that's not where they grew up. Let's look and see where they grew up. So let's start with... Ibn Hisham. He's the one that uh, writes the Shira, which would be the first to write down the biography. He does this in 833, so roughly 200 years after the fact. Uh, He was born in Basra, but he grew up in Cairo. So he was born here in Basra and moved over there to Cairo. Now let's look and see how far Cairo is. Cairo is about 990 miles from Mecca, and Basra would be about 1,200 miles from Mecca. So you can see immediately there, there's a difficulty. And tell me, uh, looking at that, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Well, I mean, the thing is, uh, Ibn Hisham writes about Muhammad as if he almost knew every single detail about the life of Muhammad. Yet, like you stated it, he wasn't even living in Mecca. No, he wasn't even living I mean, in Mecca. Uh, let's go and let's go to Al-Buhari. So Al-Buhari is the one that knows more about him because he, he's the first to write down everything he said. And as we have said, to know how you're to walk, talk, eat, drink, sleep, you need to go to the Hadith. Take a look at where he was born. Buhara. Buhara. That's why he's called Buhari, by the way. No, from Buharistan. Or Buhara, sorry. Now, Buhara is is today in Uzbekistan. Mm -hmm. Uzbekistan is a good 2,600 miles away from Mecca. So there's no way in the world that he was living or grew up in where uh, where Muhammad was living or grew up, right? That is true. And all he did is he collected sayings about him. Uh, At least that's what he stated. That was the purpose of his writing, to to collect as many sayings about Muhammad as possible result in about 600 uh, plus thousand. 600,000 that he was given. Yeah. Eliminated most of them for 7,397, which is only 2%. That's right. He threw out 98% and only retained 2%. And yet look where he lived, way up here in Bukhara. He did all his work in Baghdad. So that should question as to how could he know what really Muhammad said if he never lived down there, if he never knew him. Uh, but we're going to get to that. Let's just use one more person. I want to bring up Al-Tabari here. And Al-Tabari is the one that's credited with the introduction of the Tafsir and the Tarikh. Uh, he was born in Tabaristan. Tabaristan is uh, 1,700 miles away from Mecca. Mm-hmm. That's impo- that's, uh, Tabaristan is what is today Iran. That would be in modern-day Iran. 
Basra would be modern-day uh, uh, Iraq, so would Baghdad, and Cairo would be modern-day Egypt. Bukhara would be modern-day Uzbekistan. These are much, 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 much further north, are they not? Absolutely. And and here's another interesting twist, but I'm not going to really uh, jump ahead of uh, myself here. But you think Shia, that's the area where they're concentrated. Okay. Well, we're going to get to that now. Yeah. So the conclusion, none of the traditional writers lived or worked in Mecca or Medina. They were too far to the north of Mecca and came from the west and the eastern part of Baghdad. Getting back to your point, let's look at the second one. All of these northern areas are where the Abbasids originated from. This is all Abbasid territory. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. All Abbasid. And we've, we, that's why I put Abbasid there on that first timeline at the very beginning of the episodes. We wanted to put that there because everything we know about this character named Muhammad, about what he did, what he said, does not come from that area. It all comes from where the Abbasids. So this is an Abbasid narrative. Let's look at one other. I want to look at one other uh, graph. Let's take a look at this map here. Uh, this is the problem with the northern hegemony. I'm just going to show you everything we have uh, assumed, again, happens in Mecca Medina. That's what the standard Islamic narrative. But take a look at this. Watch and see what I'm going to do now. All of the writers and the traditions worked in Baghdad, which is 1,200, 1,120 miles too far north. Do you see that? That gives you, it solidifies what we're talking about, that northern hegemony. Notice that. All of these northern areas are where the Abbasids originated from and dominated. So that's all Abbasid territory. The Abbasids come to power in 750. All their writings are written in 833, 870, 923. So we're talking about 70 to, uh, well, if, if they come to power in 750 and uh, Buhari is writing in 870, that's 120 years later and Al-Tabari would be another 30 years after that. So furthermore, take a look at this timeline down here. I'm putting these two together now. All the writers of the traditions worked in the 9th and 10th century. So conclusion, they all wrote their material hundreds of miles too far away up here mm -hmm. and hundreds of years too late. Hundreds of miles away and hundreds of years too late. Right. Tell me why that's a problem. Well, it is a problem, like we said. I mean, first, geographically speaking, they didn't even make it to live in the area where allegedly Islam began. Uh, number two, they wrote at time that uh, you don't even have eyewitness uh, account where they can go and even investigate things. Like Luke, for instance, he said he went and investigated things from eyewitness. There were people living at that time who told him things because the time span was so short. But here they are relying on others who said something from others who said something from others. I mean, if you and I right now would write a book, let's say, hypothetically speaking, write a book about anything that took place, let's say, 100 years ago, and we say we're relying on three or four people that narrated this to us, I guarantee you, Jay, that people will be attacking that book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As Christians, this yeah. is demand, demand, demanded of us. They have demanded of us that we want to know how can you prove that Jesus did what he did and said what he said and that Christianity began in that time period at that place with these people. And we said willingly, that is a good question. Remember, the Tubigan School and also Wellhausen in the 1800s, we're talking 150 years ago, we're asking these kind of questions. We don't trust the New Testament record. We don't really, th in fact, Schweitzer, he even said, did even Jesus exist? Is there anybody called Jesus? So we had to go back to, we had to go back to, uh, off the top of my head, I'm just thinking, trying to think, of, uh, we had to go back to 
Josephus, who is a Jewish historian. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We had to go back to Tacitus, who is a Roman historian. We had to go back to people like Phlegon and and Thallus, who were Greek historians. They were writing about it. Thallus and Greek were writing within 52 AD. That's 20 years after Christ's death. Tacitus was writing at the end of the first century. That's why he's important, because he was a Roman historian who hated Christians. He was a hostile historian. Josephus was in Rome writing about it at the end of the first century, beginning of the second century, and they all refer to Jesus Christ. They refer to where he lived, where he was born, where he died. And Josephus didn't even follow Christ. No, none Which of them. Which is important. I mean, notice none of, these, none of these that I've just listed followed Christ. Yeah. They were hostile to Christians. Thallus didn't, Phlegon didn't, Tacitus didn't, Joseph, Josephus didn't. None of these followed Christ. And so we were forced to do that. Now we're asking the Muslims the same thing. Do not give us Al-Buhari, Sahih Muslim, Ibn Dao. Don't give us Al-Tabari. These guys are all too late and they're too far away. These are all Muslims. Give us support outside of Islam because we don't trust them anymore. Just look at this map again. That's too far in the north and that's too far distant. Too far north and too far distant. Too far away and too late. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're going to say to Muslims, come up with something better than that. You've got to come up with somebody who was living in the same place Muhammad lived, there in the Hijaz, Mecca and Medina, and was writing in the 7th century. That's what we're asking. Now, to do that, we're going to have to go to the place. And what we're going to do next, what I want to do now, is go to Mecca. Let's just go down to this area where I have on the map right here. These two cities, Mecca and Medina. And let's look and see what we can now find about especially Mecca. Because without Mecca, everything else comes crashing down. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you, everyone. Until next time, we'll talk about the place. Have a blessed day. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.